0: If you have a Bible with you, please do turn with me to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. This evening, we're going to look at the first six verses of Psalm 19, Although we're going to read the whole of the psalm. And then Hayden kindly said, well, if you're coming once, you might as well come twice. So um, I'm due back. I think it's uh, the 4th of September, first Sunday in September, and then we'll pick up on the latter half of Psalm 19. But I want to look at the first uh, six verses in particular, but let's give our time and attention to the word of God first and foremost. We read, to the choir master, Psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Rejoicing in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring for ever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the great privilege of being found together with like-minded people in your house, in your presence, on this your day. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that we enjoy still to do so. Lord, we thank you that you still speak to us. Lord, we thank you as we have read from this your word, Lord, day after day, night after night, your creation is speaking of your glory. And Lord, we thank you that we have the greater revelation of this, your written word, Lord, to encourage us, to challenge us, Lord, to strengthen us, to lead us and direct us, to warm our hearts, to thrill our minds, to help us to walk more closely with you. Lord, in all these ways, we pray that you would be pleased to use your word for this evening. Lord, whatever week we have come from, whatever week we are going into, whatever is weighing upon our hearts and our minds, whatever thoughts are hanging from one side of our heads to the other, Lord, grant us by your Spirit's presence with us to see them. Lord, peace. And Lord, may our gaze be upon you. For we ask in Jesus' name for his name's sake. Amen. I've concluded, I don't know whether you agree with this, I've concluded... That the most gifted theologians who can talk about the beauty, the majesty, the wonder, the holiness, the love, and the glory of God are those who can do so to children. Not dumbing things down, not going for the lowest common denominator as we so often do, but that rare gift of taking God's word and just making it so simple and so easy to embrace and to understand. I'm not saying that this is to underestimate just what children can grasp, or or doing so in a childish way, but rather in that manner which makes the profound simple without dumbing down the glorious truth. Consider with me, for example, the following children's chorus, which some of you may know. You might be thinking in your head, some of the actions to this. Do you know he made the stars to shine? He made the stars to shine. He made the rolling sea. He made the mountains high. And he made me. And this is why I love him. For me, he bled and died. The Lord of all creation became the crucified in that short children's chorus we have god as creator of the heavens of the seas of the earth and of us we have god as savior even we might say we have mention of big words substitutionary atonement for me for me he bled and died why for me because the lord jesus took My sin, with a capital S, my sinful nature, and my sins pouring forth out of that sinful nature in thought and word and deed, Jesus took those for me to Calvary's cross where he bled and died. What the chorus doesn't say, of course, is that he was gloriously resurrected, proving all that Jesus set out to do, all that he said he would do on Calvary's cross, he did indeed do, and that was accepted by his heavenly Father, as the sacrifice necessary for my sin and sins and your sin and sins if we trust in him. You and I live in a society which loves jargon and venerates experts. We invent language to enhance what we do. For example, as a student, I worked for a summer in a hospital as a um, domestic assistant. Sounds so much better and cleaner, doesn't it? (laughs) A consequence of this whole inventing language and loving jargon and venerating experts is that such a mindset can spill over if we're not careful into how we think about God and his word. We begin to consider that only when we use words which have more than three syllables have we really arrived or, far worse and more dangerous, if we read something in a Christian book which weighs at least the same as a bag of sugar, and always is written by a big name, do we really have a handle on the truth? We make everything more complicated than it really is. So my concern is twofold. Firstly, that we can end up with a Christian life, our own personal Christian walk with the Lord, not thinking not contemplating God and his word for ourselves. We simply rely on Hayden or on Christian books we've got or on God TV or whatever else we might be listening to, watching, reading. But we're not necessarily thinking about God's word and asking God the Holy Spirit who inspired these words to be written to help us to understand them. I've got books on my shelf at home. I I wish I could sometimes go and have a chat with the author say, I don't understand what on earth you'll get going on about on page 27. Could you help me? But we have the great privilege of being able to listen to and speak with the Holy Spirit, the author who inspired these words to be written. My second concern is that we can miss seeing and embracing wonderful aspects of God's declared truth because so often we're in danger of denigrating the simple it's too easy to miss the wood for the trees further by making things more complicated than they are we can also give ourselves an excuse to hold the truth of God at arm's length I don't understand that therefore I don't need to do anything about that one doesn't follow from the other not to be obedient to the Word of God when we know, we know in our heart of hearts, don't we, that God is speaking to us. But we're very good at coming up with all sorts of excuses to persuade ourselves that we don't really understand and that God is not speaking to us. I think the American author Mark Twain, who wasn't a believer, helps us to understand this when he said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that trouble me parts of the Bible that I do. In Deuteronomy 29.29, we read, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. Perhaps better known are Jesus' words in Mark 10.14, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, recorded particularly in the words of Jesus when he was walking in flesh here upon this earth, fully man, fully God, at one and the same time, has a real heart concern for children. And therefore, his word is accessible to children. <coughs> Again, not in a childish way, not dumbing things down, but there are truths that are clearly accessible to children. Augustine got this. Of John's Gospel, Augustine is quoted as having said, it is shallow enough for a child not to drown, yet deep enough for an elephant to swim in. It is an observation which often has, and I think can legitimately be applied to the whole of Scripture. Sure, there are things in God's Word that are hard and challenging to understand. Even Peter the Apostle said that some of the things that Paul wrote were complicated and difficult. We read that in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. But my point is that we should be encouraged, first, by God through his word, and secondly, by profound Christian thinkers throughout church history, that knowledge of God, God's self-revelation, through creation and through his word, is accessible, understandable, and enjoyable. There's an alternative rendering of the quote from Augustine, but it's shallow enough for a child to paddle him. I appreciate swimming. Actually, we, at the beginning of the summer, we do holiday from home. We do kind of day trips rather than going away. I mean, with the Northumberland beaches, what's there not to like about that? We, we bought a paddleboard this summer, so we've been having lots of fun on a paddleboard, and I quite enjoy snorkeling as well. Swimming I like, paddleboarding, snorkelling and great fun. But, you don't need all of that equipment to enjoy the simple pleasure of paddling. Just sauntering along a beach, just below the tide line, barefoot, maybe holding the hand of a significant other, or reveling in, joining in the squeals of delight of young children jumping over the little wavelets as they're coming into the shore. What's all this got to do with Psalm 19, you might be asking. My suggestion to you is that this is a psalm which makes the profound simple through which the Lord encourages us first to look up, to look up and embrace afresh wonderful aspects of God's self revelation. First, through His creation, verses 1 to 6, as the psalm is structured, and secondly, to look in. To the beautiful benefits of his law or word verses 7 to 11 before challenging us in verses 12 to 14 how we should respond to god's self-revelation through creation and through his word i suggest that there is also significant joy expressed by the psalmist as he contemplates these twin modes of god's self-revelation through the world through the word and then asking us to respond to such. Neither God's revelations through the world or through the word have become so familiar to the psalmist in the sense that they have become boring to him or go unnoticed. So here in Psalm 19 are simple truths profoundly expressed and clearly precious to David. So this evening, as I said earlier, I want to focus on God's revelations through his creation, verses 1 to 6 before giving our attention more fully to the beautiful benefits of God's word and our necessary response to God in verses 7 to 14 next month a few weeks hence to God's revelation through his living word the Lord Jesus Christ and the written word that is the Bible Genesis to Revelation exclusive is revelation which can lead us in God's mercy and grace to himself, to salvation. It shows us our sin. It shows us God's just and holy wrath against us because of this. And the merciful and gracious provision of a saviour to allow us to escape and to find refuge. So it's hence understandable when, how and why, We perhaps prioritise God's revelation through his word rather than through his world, through his creation. God's revelation through his word is sometimes called special revelation because it leads us to himself, it leads us to salvation. God's revelation through creation is sometimes called general revelation because it gives us an understanding that God exists, but in and of itself it won't lead us to an understanding that we are sinners and that we need a saviour. But that certainly does not mean that we should ignore or you know ignore God's revelation to creation, or allow those who glue their hands to roads or climb on the roof of the Prime Minister's house to proclaim that they are the only ones who care for creation. Our very first verse in Psalm 19, the heavens Declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork, is both a call to pay attention to wars and a motive to consider how to be wise stewards over God's creation. There is suggestion that this psalm was written during the daytime, during the emphasis we find at the end of verses four to six on the sun. Some suggest that Psalm 8 was written at night because it talks and it emphasises more about the stars and the sky talks about the moon in verse 3 of Psalm 8 I think this is an interesting thought but I'm not persuaded because I simply think that both Psalms, Psalm 8 and Psalm 19 draw our attention to the sky, to the heavens and to the one above all the heavens both Psalms would have us better appreciate, revel in and marvel at the wonder of God's creation upon the earth, in the heavens, at night, and in the day. Those saints of old, as the hymn writer puts it, as Hebrews 11 um, reminds us, line the way, share a song, they saw the agency or the hand of God in everything. In everything. Perhaps more so than we do today. I wonder if our greater scientific knowledge rather than leading us to embrace the truth of the sovereign God more fully including that in him all things hold together as Paul writes in Colossians 1.17 that we have increasingly distanced God from his creation and this has not helped when our media incessantly emphasises on the one hand evolution and on the other hand starts talking about mother nature So with a desire to counteract at least some of this, allow me to share a few facts about the heavens and the sky, which I hope will help us to see that they truly do declare the glory of God and proclaim his handiwork. Have you ever realised that the exact size, position and orbit of all the planets, all in their different orbits, keep the Earth from moving either too close to the Sun or too far away. Similarly the exact size, the gravitational pull of the Sun combined with that of the other planets in their precise orbits and with their own gravitational pull, keep the Earth steady. So it's not kind of wobbling, it's shooting off here, there and everywhere. If the Earth was closer to the Sun The water in the oceans would evaporate, trees and plants would die, and the temperature be too hot for us and for the animals. By contrast, if the earth was further away from the sun, its warming energy would not reach us. The waters would freeze, and so would we. Our sun is also exactly the right mass. If it was larger, its brightness would change too quickly. There would be too much high energy radiation if it was smaller the range of planetary distances able to support life would simply be too narrow the right distance would be so close to the star that the tidal forces would disrupt our planet's rotational period. ultraviolet radiation would also be inadequate for that Wonderful, amazing process that plants have <coughs> photosynthesis and moreover, and this may seem, it sound a little weird, the colour of the light, the spectrum of light from the sun is just right to enable plants to photosynthesize. If it was redder, the light was redder or bluer, the photosynthetic response would be so much weaker. What does that mean? It would mean the variety of flowers, plants, trees, including those that we can eat from, would be significantly less. The size and the position of the Earth is also just right to prevent us from either kind of floating away, as there would be too little gravity, or being crushed because there would be too much. The exact and constant 23 and a half degrees tilt of the earth. you ever seen a globe and it's got that funny tilt on it? That's 23 and a half degrees. It's essential. It gives a greater and more even distribution of the way that the sun's light and heat hits the earth. Uh, it gives us our moderate seasons without which crops would not grow. It prevents uninhabitable extremes of temperature. We're perhaps getting a little ahead of ourselves somewhat but consider verse 6 of Psalm 19 as it speaks of the sun its rising is from the ends of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat if we didn't have that 23.5 degree tilt then the truth of this verse would not be so because there would be some parts of the earth that would never get the sun's Full heat, because it would just it wouldn't be tilted, it wouldn't be evenly distributed. Think about the moon. The moon's exact mass and its precise distance from the earth, without which we wouldn't have that tilt. Nor would we, nor would the seas have tides necessary to moderate the weather's temperature and disperse all of those nutrients that are so necessary for oceanic and aquatic life. The sky. Our atmosphere is something that we may take for granted. I'm not sure the last time you gave the Lord thanks for the atmosphere. It's been certainly a long time since since I have. But it, without it, we would have no protection <coughs> Excuse me. from either very hot or very cold temperatures. If you want some compare and contrast, oh, the, the little planet Mercury doesn't have an atmosphere, and therefore, it's a furnace during its short day and it freezes during its short night. Venus has a different atmosphere and it's constantly, extremely hot, both during its night and its day. So without the Earth's atmosphere and the, the currents, that winds in the upper atmosphere, we would have no wind, no rain, no clouds to insulate the Earth on cold days and nights we would be putting on our gas boilers or air source heat pumps or whatever you have a lot more during the winter because there wouldn't be that cloud cover to keep the heat in there is so much more that could be said about our world and this is notwithstanding the sheer majesty of glorious sunrises, sunsets, the wonder of the thousands of stars that we can see on a clear night and the billions more that we can't We can appreciate why the theologian John Calvin, perhaps based on the first verses of Psalm 19, declared creation as the theatre of God's glory. Creation is the theatre of God's glory. And as we read elsewhere in the scriptures, the Lord, Psalm 104 verse 5, he set the earth on its foundation so that it would not be moved, or you can equally translate that or will not totter which reinforces or actually gets there first is more accurate in terms of that whole gravitational planet size orbits and all the rest of it that keep our earth precisely where it is Isaiah 48 verse 13 my hand laid the foundation of the earth and my right hand spread out the heavens when I called to them they stand forth together together there is that cooperation that partnership if you like between the planets and their orbits all to benefit us all to benefit us the declaration of the glory of God the proclamation of his handiwork is both unceasing and truly universal day to day pours out speech night to night reveals knowledge verse 2 of Psalm 19 if we look up each day, every night, it's replete with the testimony of God. Most assuredly, as Jeremiah put it, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lamentations 3:22, and 23. So if there are any downcast, struggling, anxious here this evening, almost certainly, can I encourage you to look up? Look up when you leave church tonight. Look up for encouragement, for comfort, and the reminder of God's daily mercy towards us all. What is the speech, the knowledge, the words, the voice, all these words used in verses 2 and 3? Well, yes, that creation declares God's glory and his handiwork. But there's more to it, as Paul picks up in Romans 1, verses 19 and 20, what can be known about God is plain to humanity, to them, to humanity, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, that's the human race, that's you and I, are without excuse. Looking back at Psalm 19, look at the way David emphasises how God's revelation of himself through creation is so plain. How he has shown humanity why his eternal power and divine nature can be clearly perceived, living up, leaving us with No excuse, no excuse to deny his existence. So in verses 1 to 4, and the words are all kind of one on top of the other almost, we read that God through his creation declares, proclaims, pours out speech, reveals knowledge, and that this communication, verse 3, is heard throughout the earth to the end of the world, verse 4. So the problem is not that knowledge of God is beyond our grasp or comprehension. The problem is that most of humanity doesn't want to hear. Most of humanity, as it were, walks around with those great big headphones on, seeking to cancel out what God is clearly saying. Ears are stopped to the simple, awesome, supremely powerful God-sense of Genesis 1, the method of creation over complicated by humanity God removed as created from humanity not because we don't understand but because we do most of humanity would rather pretend that creation is God less for then our rebellion and it is our rebellion against God is no rebellion at all because God doesn't exist who am I rebelling against of course the absolute tragedy in all of this is that the very God who can forgive, save, restore, assuage guilt. One of the best questions you can ask, let's be optimistic and say a not yet Christian rather than a non-Christian. If you know them, if you get to know them well, one of the best questions you can ask them is, what, what do you do with your guilt? What do you do with your guilt? How do you come? How do you manage day by day? because in and through Christ and only in and through Christ is that guilt removed therefore as Christians we must be confident in the truth of God as creator and be able to gently show that the heavens do indeed declare the glory of God it is a truth that may well not say but it is a truth that will encourage people to acknowledge God and then we pray in his sovereign grace respond to him through his mercy, accordingly is the saviour that they so desperately need to save them from their sin and sins. During the French Revolution, there was a, never heard of him before, pinched this from a commentary, it's a revolutionist called jean Saint André said to a peasant, I will have your steeples pulled down. That you, forgive my pseudo-French accent. I will have your steeples pulled down that you may no longer have any object by which you may be reminded of your old superstitions. But replied the peasant, "You cannot help leaving us the stars. You cannot help leaving us the stars." Indeed, more contemporary, as a lady in a church in Gateshead—not this one—she was a fervent atheist. She came to faith having read a science book and been left unsatisfied with the explanations given as to how the universe came to be. She was persuaded of creation by God and she latterly came to Christ through the mercy of God. The lady is a modern day example of why Paul, in his address to the thinking men of Athens, recorded for us in Acts 17, began with creation. You ever notice that? Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, although he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from any one of us. But in him we live, move, and have our being. And even some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. Being, then, God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man, the time of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Acts 17, 24 to 31. Interestingly, the neat distinction we draw between God's revelation through creation and God's revelation through his word both living and written, is one that Paul appears to conflate in Romans 10. So having emphasised the message of salvation and the importance of the word, Romans 10, 5-16, we read the following, where Paul quotes from Psalm 19, verse 4, and seems to apply God's clear communication through his creation to his clear communication through his word. Paul writes, Faith comes through hearing, in hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? That is the word of Christ. Indeed they have. For, quoting Psalm 19 verse 4, which in its context talks about creation, their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Just goes to show that our human systems are sometimes totally inadequate for trying to understand what God is doing through his greater word. There is a further lesson for us as Christians. We know from elsewhere in Scripture that we, as Christians, are not immune to sometimes stopping our ears, hardening our hearts against God's clear communication. In his grace, God repeatedly warns us against so doing and he urges us to encourage each other to keep listening. Today, tonight, if you hear his voice. And from Psalm 19 that we have read so far, may we legitimately say when, when you hear his voice, not if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews chapter 3 verses 7, 8, 12 and 13 so not only should we look up sometimes as Christians we need to listen up too we need to listen up too our remaining verses for this evening from Psalm 19 the end of verse 4 to verse 6 draw our attention to the sun its joyous procession across the day's sky until it rests in its nightly tent and by derivation its heat and its light. None of these we should take for granted. Each day, this day, is a blessing from God. Only this day, only today, is guaranteed by God as a day of salvation. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2 We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We don't know how many days we each have. Only the Lord knows all the days ordained for us. As David says in Psalm 139 verse 16, but the Lord has promised that as our days are however many there may be so shall our strength be where historically some have deified and worshipped the sun one could argue we, we still have sun worshippers, haven't seen many of them so far in August with all the rain that we've had these verses and others are adamant that the father of lights as James puts it in James 1 verse 17 as James describes God God himself is the creator of all the lesser light, sun, moon, stars. In them, in the heavens, God has set a tent for the sun. So friends, through his creation, God speaks and he very much blesses. There are wonders to behold, to contemplate and even enjoy. And through the intricacy of God's creation, we may also see is tender loving care for all. Everything has been created both in a way which proclaims God's glory, but also that is it just right. If you like the, the divine Goldilocks principle, is the earth is just right for us as his created children to live. And when we look up, we can be reminded of these truths. But as we have also seen. Not only are we to look up, we are also to hear and to listen up. God's creation has a purpose. At the very least, to declare that He is, that God exists, and that consequently, we should seek Him, find Him, recognize that we need to repent before Him, and wonderfully be saved by Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for all the blessings that you give to us and the way, Lord, that graciously you remind us of blessings that we have forgotten. Lord, as a hymn writer of old, encourage us so to do. Help us, we pray, to name our blessings, to count them one by one. Lord, when we're discouraged, Lord, when we're upset, when we're fearful, fretful, anxious, when we feel failures as we so often do, Lord, may we be reminded that by simply living on this earth that Lord we are recipients of a whole plethora of glorious wonderful blessings Lord blessings which inform our minds Lord blessings which thrill our hearts and blessings Lord God that we can walk in, run in, jump in swim in, dive into listen to, see hear, touch, taste and smell Lord thank you for these but thank you Lord God for the greatest blessing of all. Lord, being able to walk with you, talk with you, worship you, praise you and obey you, because the greatest blessing of all is the, is the Lord God himself. Lord, speak to us this week, we pray. Help us to hear what you have spoken to us already this day, at the outset of this and uh, another working week. And Lord, may our ears ever be attentive to you. We know, Lord God, that your ear is ever attentive to the cry of your people. But Lord, we pray that in a parallel way that you would help us to be attentive to what you are saying to us. Yes, through your creation, but also, Lord, through your word, that we might walk with you and love you and serve you more faithfully. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his name's sake. Amen.